0: Grace, mercy, and peace be unto you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. It's always fascinating to come across the text where Jesus is calling his disciples. Our text today ends with Peter, James, John, and the sons of Zebedee bringing their boats to land and promptly leaving everything to follow Jesus. They truly left everything follow Jesus. The emphasis on leaving everything to follow Jesus, that pops up again later in Luke's Gospel where Peter will pipe up after a rather uh, not so nice uh, uh, interaction, or at least that's how Peter uh, looks at it. It's kind of a convicting interaction between a rich young ruler and Jesus. And you might recall the, the episode uh, that this young man wanted Jesus' stamp of approval for all of his good works and all of his commandment keeping that he's done ever since his youth. And Jesus' response to him is to sell everything, a.k.a. leave everything, and follow him. Well, you might know the end of, result of that. The young man slumps away, disheartened with Jesus's words. And what you have Following that is Peter's worrying response. Peter is all over it. He promptly invokes Jesus' approval too, saying as though to make the case for himself and the other disciples, see, we have left our homes and followed you. Peter wants to remind Jesus that he has not, and the disciples aren't like that rich young ruler. More on that later. There's a problem following Jesus. I don't know about you, but when I hear today's gospel and I kind of compare that to how Jesus interacts with that rich young ruler, I'm rather convicted on both texts. On one hand, you have the disciples leaving everything to follow Jesus, and on the other hand, you have the disciples reiterating their steadfastness to the cause of Jesus' call to them. They seem to be what I am not always good at doing and perhaps who you also may struggle to be as a Christian, a follower of Jesus, leaving everything for Jesus. We're not perfect people. I hope that's an obvious uh, fact that we can agree upon. And while Jesus does expect our perfection, he says, be perfect as your father in heaven is perfect, he's also not oblivious to our main distraction, sin. A variety of sins pull us in all kinds of directions. In fact, one may say that our sins lead us to follow down paths that aren't so good for us. Our sins have us following all sorts of dead ends. And sin does lead to dead ends, both for the body and for the soul. St. Paul's reminder to the Ephesians of just how dangerous sin is is remains a reminder to us today. He writes, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. God is deeply concerned with sin because it is an erosion of faith. God does not desire our sins to be eroded away, but to be steadfast in our faith, steadfast in our confession that Jesus is the Christ. And St. Paul, in, in speaking to the Ephesians here, he's not speaking only from his own experience, but he's also speaking as those who came before him, like St. Peter and James and John, the sons of Zebedee in our text today, as well as the rest of the disciples. They all know too well, as you and I know too well, of the power of sin and temptations. So we're called to a perfect following, but we are imperfect in our following. To follow Jesus means to leave behind all that, to leave behind all sin and temptation, to leave behind following, as Paul writes, the course of the world, following the prince of death and disobedience, the devil, demons, and dissenters of truth. But who of us has done that perfectly? Our conviction must have been Peter's as well. His hope was that in uh, sweeping behind the, the rich young ruler and, and confronting Jesus that he would be able to remind Jesus of, of their leaving their boats and leaving their house leaving everything to follow him to remind Jesus of their commitment he didn't want Jesus to leave him or the rest of the disciples just as disheartened and it's easy to be disheartened life doesn't always go your way And life for the first disciples by the lake of Gennesaret wasn't going so well the day that they met Jesus either. All night they had toiled like a college student scrambling for that 8 a.m. exam. But in the end, they came up with nothing. I'm sure they were perfect as their Heavenly Father was perfect, neither cursing their catch nor lack thereof, nor coveting what they didn't have. Just like I'm sure you're perfect in every thought, word, and deed, When, in fact, that 8 a.m. exam is a bust where your project partners don't do their part. Right? No. (laughs) It's all bogus, right? We know it's easy to be disheartened and to give in to the sinful and temptations of the world around us, to be disheartened in body and soul. But can you imagine how the disciples felt when Jesus told them to recast their nets? We know what Simon Peter's reaction was. He pushed back. He doubted Jesus. But out of respect for Jesus, he ultimately did as he was told. And out of this comes two lessons uh, for the life of the Christian. The first is that the word of Jesus works. And the second one is that it's difficult that word of God, and sometimes it breaks things. The disciples enclosed a large number of fish where Jesus told them to cast their net, but when reeling them in, they had to have all hands on deck to to bring in that net that was was breaking. Jesus, of course, has here uh, an illustration wrapped up in a very practical situation. It's easy to see that the the person in authority here is Jesus, and that what he says goes. His word is his promise, and it works. If he says, put your net there, he's promising fish from there. If he says his word will not return void, it won't. If he says that baptism saves, we believe it. If Jesus says that the communion bread and wine is also his body and blood, we may want to push back, like Peter did with the net, but ultimately, we must Trust in him and his word alone. So Jesus has these and plenty more miracles that happen all throughout the gospel to make his point, and to make his point over and over again, that his word works, that he has authority in and from his word. However, there's that second lesson. God's word can be difficult and sometimes breaks things. The catch of fish that Jesus provided needed the help of all the other fishing partners. The result of listening to Jesus can be seen in the nets that broke and the boats that began to sink at the weight of their catch. And these are not unimportant details. The gospel's purpose is not merely to describe who Jesus called to be his disciples, but how they should imagine what their calling would be like. After all, Jesus tells Peter that from now on, he will be catching men, implying that from now on, he will be bringing men, women, children, whole families, whole households into the family of God, into Christ's church, or what we call today the Christian church. But it's not an easy call. It's a difficult one. It will require the help of other fishermen, other disciples, pastors, preachers, It will be a difficult but rewarding duty, yet it will not be without some breakage. The disciples will see a number of things. They will see the rebuke. uh, They will see rebuke as part of their pastoral formation where Jesus uh, calls them out for their sins. Uh, They will experience rejection from the people that they've come to serve. One of their own, Judas, will betray Jesus and the rest of them. Jesus himself will be persecuted and ultimately crucified. And then they will scatter and hide in fear until Jesus has risen from the dead and comes to them with a word of peace. That doesn't look like an ease of vocation here. In a word, their life is messy, sinful. Some erroneously believe that living the Christian life, being a follower of Jesus, is easy, but it's incredibly difficult if you're doing it right. Christians. Have to, uh, Christians have to toil over certain or particular rights and wrongs that others don't care to consider. Our lives are constrained by commandments we want to keep, but oftentimes we fail to keep. We are just as fallen as anyone else, just as sinful as anyone else, but we are expected to lead by example. Who wouldn't that stretch? Who wouldn't that tear at or break? So the life of the Christian, when understood properly, isn't the imagery of either the rich young ruler who falsely believes he's kept all the commandments, nor is it a disciple who believes alone in the merit of his poverty, having left everything to follow Jesus. Instead, what Jesus begins to, stretch, to sketch out for his newest disciples and for us is that following Jesus means that he is and we are not We are not at the center of life and salvation. The disciples will struggle to understand this, but then again, so do we. Peter wants Jesus to remember that they left everything to follow him, but he neglects to also offer up in that same situation how he doubted Jesus, how he doubted Jesus' command to put the net in one last time. How convenient to leave that out in his appeal to Jesus, but we do the same. In vulnerable moments of weakness and fear, praying to God, we ask him to remember our faithfulness despite the skeletons in our closet. It would seem then that we're in an impossible position before God, and that's just it. The disciples groaned when Jesus edited the rich young ruler's perfect resume. They pushed back, asking, then who can be saved? Jesus responded, what is impossible with man is possible with God. Today, Peter will just begin to learn that lesson from Jesus. When he sees what Jesus made possible in contrast to what he held on to, to the impossibility of Jesus' words, when in fact Jesus' word did not return void. And seeing with his own eyes, he falls before Jesus' knees upon his own knees and pleads to Jesus, confessing his sins. Depart from me for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Peter saw not only the miracle but this miracle was also a reflection of his own sinfulness, his own doubt and he confessed it to Jesus. The beautiful thing of this text is that Jesus' response is not a disheartening one but a one that embraces Peter and all who confess their sins. Be not afraid. Do not be afraid. His word to Peter is a word of forgiveness. And his word is his promise. And his word works. It works for, him, for Peter and it works for you. That word of forgiveness is yours. From that word of forgiveness, Jesus called Peter to be a disciple who brought many into his church. That word has brought you and many others, myself, into Christ's church. The disciples must have thought that they had seen the greatest miracle that day on the lake of Gennesaret. But the greatest miracle was just a few years off, when Jesus would die on the cross and three days later rise again. It reminds us that the greatest miracle, Christ's death and resurrection, is the one by which our faith is constantly tested. will, Will we push back against God and his word or fall on our knees and confess our sins? Will we doubt or receive God's forgiveness? Will we follow the course of this world, the prince of death and disobedience, the devil, demons, and dissenting of truth? Or... Will we follow Jesus regardless of our riches or poverty? To all these questions, I tell you what Jesus said to Peter. Do not be afraid. Thanks be to God that he makes possible for us what we sinners find so impossible, God's love. Do not be afraid wondering if you're good enough. Christ has made possible your salvation despite all of your sins. It's not in your hands. Your salvation is not in your hands. It's in Christ's crucified for your sins hands. Do not be afraid to imperfectly follow the Lord. God's word is a lamp to your feet and a light to your path, writes the psalmist. Those words acknowledge full well that to follow God in the midst of a dark, fearful, and sin-filled world requires the light of God's word. The light of that Jesus brings into this world, not our own merit or strength. Jesus would time and again rebuke and restore Peter to bring him to confession and the forgiveness of sins. And you're no different. God calls you to follow him through confession and into the forgiveness of all of your sins. In fact, if you can believe it, The boat and the fish of today's gospel will become the imagery of the church and the catch of people who worship there. It is the image of the impossible being made possible. The image of turning from doubt to faith. It is the image of you and the image of me turning away from the broken idolatry of self and back toward the image of God. And the image of God is the one who is for you and for me, every grace, every mercy, every peace, all the forgiveness of all of your sins. In the name of Jesus, amen.